Hi, welcome to Perspectives, a podcast that we do here at Orchard Hill to try to speak to current issues. We took a pause for the last uh, several months after several years of releasing a Perspectives or before that an Ask a Pastor podcast on a weekly basis where we would try to bring about topics that are on people's minds, are current, and not really necessarily have a Bible study on it, but speak about the perspective, sometimes in the gray areas where the Bible doesn't speak. Sometimes the Bible speaks to it directly, uh, but it needs some more fleshing out. And so that is what we're doing. And our plan moving forward now is to release one a month. We believe that uh, maybe by making it a little longer, a little more detailed, we'll be able to address some of the current issues. And so today I'm joined by James and Jenna, two of our student ministry fine team. James has been a part of Orchard Hill for a little over a year uh, as uh, uh, he moved and uh, has taken the lead for our student ministries. Jenna has been here for 14 years. Longevity in terms of next week. And I knew that because... I just actually wrote you a note, which you probably haven't gotten yet. I read it, thank you. Did you? you? All right, saying thank you for 14 years. That's how I knew it was 14 years. And so uh, it's great just to have you both here. And uh, today we're going to talk about abortion. And so I thought having two of our student ministry leaders here to talk about that with me would be helpful because abortion is certainly a longstanding issue but it's almost like it's being rediscovered right now by students who, uh, for many students, this has been a settled issue for most of their lives and all of a sudden they're they're experiencing this for the first time. For for people who are my age, um, I also grew up with it being generally settled, but it was still an issue of debate uh, when I was younger. And I think it has almost ceased to be an issue of debate until this last summer when obviously the Dobbs decision came down and it changed everything. And I was looking for some stats on this just because I like to understand perspective. Since Roe versus Wade in 1973, there have been over 63 million abortions. Uh, There were some years where there were over a million. The number has dropped Mm. each year. But if you think about that, that's 63 million people whose lives uh, have not happened. And I realize when we frame this issue that some people will say, well, this is an easy issue. We frame the issue as it's life, it's not life, it's right, it's wrong, it's murder, it's that simple. And then other people say this is really a woman's right issue. This is a sovereignty of the body. This is um, really about equal opportunity for women. And so what I'd like to do is just start with, with the framing of the issue question and just say, how do you understand and think people come at it from such different vantage points? Because obviously, if you grant the narrative that it is an issue of right and wrong, life and death, um, few people on that so- on the other side would say, oh my goodness, yes, go ahead and kill. And similarly, if you frame the issue as this is uh, sovereignty of a woman's body's choice, few people would say, oh, I want to tell women what they should do with their bodies. Well, about like few and, people um, would say that. Well, well, less, less, yeah, less people. Yeah. And, <laughs> well, I mean, there, there's, there, there's not this impulse to say, I want to be telling other people what they can or can't do with their bodies, hmm. unless you think there's some other moral imperative mm-hmm. engaged in it. Um, so for example, I would not be inclined to, like, like, like drugs are an issue. Um, I don't have a big desire to tell people what they should or shouldn't do with drugs other than when it impacts other people. And, and that's what I'm saying. There's, a, there's a, an impulse for most people to say, you do whatever you want to do with you as long as it doesn't impact anybody else. So, mm-hmm. so how do you guys understand just the framing of the issue and why that matters in this? No, no, go for it. <laughs> No, I mean, I do think that there, um, I think there's there's two sides of it, right? There is, if you do put it on just a life and death issue, there are going to be very few that disagree with that. Although it's interesting as I've kind of engaged with this over the summer on, yes, I'm on, you know, I'm TikTok and social, uh, Instagram, social media. It's, 
there is some of that shift of people just saying it is black and white. And you know, I saw videos, and I guess I granted it's sensationalized, but I think you know, seeing videos of protesters saying, you know, I'm, I support killing babies, and I thought that was really interesting because it's like, um, it's I think it's just a little bit of a shift into that into that a little bit more of territory where we haven't been before. Um, so. I don't know. I'm still trying to wrap my brain around this, the complexity of this issue. And again, I lived in a time where it was more or less sealed. And so the fact that it's kind of, we are where we're at, it's, it's a lot to process and it's a lot to try to make heads or tails out of, um, it, out of, out of the layers. Cause I, I don't think it's, it's, you know, there are on a surface level and a biblical level, I think it's pretty cut and dry, but there are multiple layers. Okay, so how is it cut and dry? Just let's let's hear your thoughts sure, on how sure. what's cut and dry. So I you know, I read um, yeah, I read in Jeremiah. I, Jeremiah is a great example because God is speaking to the prophet Jeremiah in, in the beginning chapter one, he says, Before uh, I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. And so to me that's a very it creates this uh, pretty black and white, cut and dry, of, of life begins um, at the moment of conception. I make, would even make the argument it begins even before that, as God is uh, all-knowing and, and the author of all things. Like in Jeremiah, he makes the case of even before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. And so I think, you know, for me, and that in reading that, I come out of that thinking that or believing that life begins before conception. Okay. And I think that's where people see it differently sure. because most of the people that I know that are for at least making it legal, even if they wouldn't necessarily choose it for themselves, mm -hmm. they don't see somebody's personhood, their soul, their, their being existing before they're born. Mm -hmm. And so to them, so at least people I've talked to, it's not I'm committing murder it's there's a biological thing that's happening and it's it's a different perspective of of when life begins and so then if you say well well that you know whatever words you want to use in mm -hmm. there some people you know fetus whatever um if that's not really a person then removing it from a person's body is it's you know like removing any, you know, you have a cyst that needs excised. You mm -hmm. have, you know, it's it's a medical procedure. It's not. So what so I would think you say to a student who comes to you and says, this is my understanding and yeah. I am pregnant yeah. and so I'm seeing it that way, but I want to make sure that I'm biblically not yeah. wrong. What would you say? Yeah. I mean, as someone who has been pregnant, mm -hmm. like there is, there's no doubt in my mind that they were people inside of my body. Like they are a whole person. God made them on purpose. They, their life began before they could live outside of me, you know, mm -hmm. like that's, that's a whole person. And I think the, the difficult parts, the part of that conversation comes whenever you start talking about the nuance of, okay, now what does this mean for you? Because biblically it's pretty clear that is a child that God has created. That's a whole person. God has a purpose for their life. There's a plan for them. And abortion is, kill. I mean, it's, that's their life you're taking away. Um, but whenever it just becomes that and we don't start to have the conversation with those mothers, with the other family that's involved about, okay, what does this look like for you? This is really hard. Acknowledging how difficult of a choice that is. Like, when you start to skip past the gray area and just be like, no, like that, there's a right and wrong, deal with it. I think mm -hmm. that's whenever people miss seeing the heart of Jesus and how we treat them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, um, there's certainly in conversation a difference between I believe something mm -hmm. and I have compassion for where you are. Yeah. What I think makes this issue challenging is, is there are some issues where you may say, oh, I have a belief, and you have a belief. But here there is a life yeah. that is the outcome of a choice mm -hmm. at that point. That that even for me, I would say, even if somebody were to say, well, I don't believe it's a life. Well, it certainly is a 
life that is coming. And if you don't do anything, it will be. Mm-hmm. And so there is at least that. And I know in my own journey on this, uh, certainly there were some biblical arguments, but I wasn't really swayed by biblical authority when I was necessarily a teenager, and at least right away. And a couple of the, the key moments, I remember as a kid, and this is pre-internet, that's how old I am, but I remember going to the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago, and they used to have a display at where they had fetuses that had been um, not aborted, but lost, uh, miscarried. And they had them at all the different weeks all the way along. They had one for every week. Mm-hmm. And I remember walking down that display and seeing the, the body form at such an early age and thinking, yeah. how can you do this? And especially when you get to late-term abortions, where it really becomes obvious. And, and so one of the interesting things in the current debate is, and I think, James, you alluded to this, is... is now, people have seen the pressing of the logic toward the issue of, well, if you would abort latent pregnancy, why not after birth? And, and so some people have started to say, yeah, I'm not going to stand against that wherever it is. Now, you know, people have talked about fetal viability and some of those things, and certainly uh, there's something. But, but even as a society, we know intuitively that, that it is a life because in the same hospital that will abort sometimes late term, they'll fight just down the hall to save the life of the child. Mm-hmm. And we'll even criminalize if you um, get into an altercation with a woman who loses a baby mm-hmm. um, and all of a sudden it's a, it's a double homicide or it's a, right. a yeah. you know, and so, and so yeah. we know intuitively if somebody wants that to be a life, it's a life. And then you know, certainly in my own journey as well, and I've shared this publicly, but just having been adopted myself and the, the journey of the conversation where when I finally um, had a conversation with my birth mom and she said the words to me, if abortion had been legal when you were born, I was born just a little before Roe versus Wade, she said I would have had you aborted. And, and for me, that was one of those moments where, you know, okay, my life may not have been this great contribution to society, but it at least mattered to my wife, to my boys, to a few other folks. And you take away 63 million of those people from our society, and there's a huge societal loss. There's a huge, um, they, you know, just to say we're just erasing these because we don't want to deal with a pregnancy, um, that for me was, was part of my journey. Now, one of the things that people will say is, okay, um, that's nice you have that view. So you say then that you know girls who are raped, victims of incest, should have to carry a baby to term. Um, so how would, you, how would you deal with that situation and how do you deal with that as a bigger question and construct? Because it's real. It's not, I mean, like that's not a hypothetical. No, it is Like this only affects a few people. Um, well, statistically... It only affects less than 1% of the abortions. But yes. How many people is that? that? It's a lot. You know. It's, well, it's 20,000. It's 60,000 a year is what it would be. They're reported. Um, Yeah. You know, there's. Right. I have worked with. Actually, it would be 6,000 a year. Six the, the stats are... You notice are, how I just agreed because I <laughs> gave up on doing the mental math. 629,000 abortions, according to some, so 800,000. So 1% would be six, six to 8,000 a year. And those are cases related, attributed directly to rape and incest? Correct. Under, uh, it's under 1% okay. is, what, is what the reported numbers yeah. tend to be. Uh, if I have that wrong, um, you can send an email to james <laughs> at orchardhillchurch.com. Uh, that's not actually his email, so, yeah, uh, so, it so Go it's ahead. all yeah. good. But uh, uh, yeah, somewhere in that number. Yeah. And again, to your point, I'm not trying to diminish exactly. the issue by saying that. I'm just saying what the argument often, and this is this is true in most arguments, is people will take the extreme case and say, because you believe this, you must believe this. Mm-hmm. And if you believe this, I can't, can't can't even listen to you on the rest of the argument. Now, to be fair, that's right. To be fair, for those people, that is a very real case. So how do you guys deal with that? How how would you deal with that personally, uh, advising students, each of those things? I have walked through 
post-rape counseling mm. with more girls than I mm. can name. And mm. it's so hard because, mm. I mean, you were talking about how, you know, it almost seems like a person's not a person until someone wants them. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, okay, well, is her body not her own if somebody else wants it? You know, like there's so many layers to it. And being raped is traumatic enough to destroy a person's life under the right circumstances if they don't have support, if they don't have a place where they can go to feel seen and heard and known and cared for, if they don't have a community around them, if they don't have people that believe them. Just rape is enough to ruin a person's life and set them on a a bad trajectory for a whole lot of things. But if you take that and then you build in a whole extra person that they weren't planning on, that they didn't, they, they're, made, they're oftentimes not in a position to be able to care for well, to give the kind of life that they would want to give their mm-hmm. child, whatever. Like, but, I mean, you talk to those girls, and I think it's just so hard. Is that child still a person? Absolutely, yes. Would I encourage her and provide as many resources as I could to make sure that that child was able to have the kind of life that a person deserves to have. Yes. But I think that if we say, oh, well, it's just, you know, I'm not saying you saying this. I'm saying there are folks who would go, well, because it's less than 1%, like, don't, that's not even the issue. And it's like, okay, but they're whole people and there needs to be support systems for them. There needs to be people who believe them. There needs to be Gosh, hospital systems that are set up to be able to process the the date rape kits in timely mm-hmm. manner so that the men that have raped them can be actually prosecuted. Mm-hmm. Um, there needs to be a system that believes women when they say, this is what's happened to me. And because I've heard, I've, I was listening to a lot of people's stories this week in preparation for this conversation. And the one conversation that I heard was this girl and she was like, as soon as I got pregnant, nobody cared that I got raped. Hmm. You want to talk about a person not feeling like a person? Yeah. You know, I think that it's just, there's, there's so much more that needs to happen to come around somebody in that situation legally, ethically, you know, like medically supporting community resources coming around that for counseling. Like there's so many things that they need that most women don't have access to Mm -hmm. who are in that situation. I think what people think of is like, oh, this like rich white girl that has everything and parents can just take care of it. Like they think like, oh, we'll just have the baby and it's easy. And if you don't want to care for the child, just give it to somebody. There's this, this not what most people are dealing with in those situations. And so it's just, it's hard. I, I think you're right that there's a sense in which the more privilege you come from, the easier it is to deal with the situation. Which it is. Easy is not the right word, obviously. Yeah. Uh, there's less, less complex. However, there is still in our nation an extensive waiting list for people who are wanting to take newborns. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are wonderful homes available for somebody who wants to place a newborn. Mm-hmm. Where we fall down as a country substantially is kids with age. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are so many kids who are of age mm-hmm. that, that nobody wants to take in that they're left in the system. Mm-hmm. Newborns are still highly uh, sought. Yeah. And so, and healthy so, newborns. somebody healthy newborns. That's right. Healthy white newborns. Um, no, uh, that's not necessarily true. I'd love to see your stats on that. Okay. Um, I mean, uh, do you have them offhand? Accounting. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying that there, there's a narrative there. <laughs> yeah. That is that, but I don't know that that's true. Yeah. I'd be happy to be proved wrong on it, but, but my pushback would be, I don't think that that's true at this point, mm-hmm. um, and uh, because. One of the, and now we're going to go down a whole other trail. 
but, let's go. Let's but, go. Uh, I packed my backpack. Well, well, it's an interesting. So, so one of the narratives of this whole thing is that is that this is worse for people of color, mm-hmm. um, and that's an interesting issue. But I've heard it said that the number one killer of black people is Planned Parenthood. Um, and I don't, again, I can't verify those stats, mm-hmm. but, but we, we, we need to be aware that, okay, yes, there are some, some race issues that are mm-hmm. tied to this, but I think there's a lot more tied to poverty and wealth than race. I think poverty for white people who are poor, people who are of any ethnic descent is a much more complicating issue mm-hmm. than race per se. Now, are there some potential race issues? Yeah, but it's a, um, it's definitely more of an economic challenge mm-hmm. um, than it is purely a race challenge. Um, now, again, it doesn't mean that there isn't some complicity there, but but I would, I, I would say one of the real challenges in this issue is is to detangle narrative mm-hmm. that are easy, quick answers. Yeah. Um, and let's blame white privilege or something like that for this to um, the whole other issue. And I'll just speak to, to, to my situation when I, what I've pieced together of it. Um, single woman, 21 years old, pregnant from a guy who wasn't her boyfriend, uh, out kind of having fun for a few days, um, and then says, oops. Um, came from some resource, not a lot. Uh, enough that she could change schools because in the era there it was I need to go somewhere else. Yeah. But um, but it was I can't raise this child. I don't have the money, the resource, um, potential to do mm-hmm. this, and so I'm going to put this kid in the system. And um, and, and so that that does happen um, for white people, black people. Yeah. Uh, across the board, so I like you use the word detangle, and I think that's really accurate and good picture in coming alongside of students, especially students who are walking through this issue, because it I feel like it's in the moment, as you outlined, you know, in an instance of uh, sexual assault or um, you know abuse. I think that it's really easy to kind of, for at least for me, to go to a here's a black and white answer. Uh, the Bible speaks against abortion, it's wrong. And, you know, in that, there's, like you said, Jenna, there's so many, there's so many layers to that. And so I think for, for me, uh, just being, taking, hitting a pause point and saying, all right, I think there's a lot of, um, you know, you need to acknowledge the emotional and the physical damage that's been done here and almost like, come alongside of the person at that level before you ever even engage in the mm-hmm. the issue at hand. Um, so yeah, it's it entangled. I think you just un, almost untangling that is I think that's a really uh, it's a good word picture for the situation because it isn't it's usually not very cut and dry and black and white, you know, in those instances of where you're working with students along alongside of this. so. At least that's been my experience. Yeah, what's what's important, I think, is that if you're ever in a situation to walk with somebody who's having to make that choice, is that you take the time to hear their story Mm -hmm. and to walk with them where they are, not simply to say, here's my answer. The flip side is is when, when we, and we, I mean the church, Christians in general, when we try to start with the story generally rather than than the truth, sometimes it can come across as if there isn't a standard sure. or an ideal. And, and I do think that that's important because I think, especially now, there is a generation that's coming along that will say, well, is this really biblical? Do I need to hold to one view over the other? I think, you know, I've heard this Christian, that Christian say that, that they believe that this is okay, and and so there there's a both and to this sure. in terms of being able to sure. say I want to walk with people, and I want to also be able to say I do think that there's a biblical norm, and that and that and that adding that layer even to a painful situation first 
might actually increase the trauma, not decrease it for a young woman who goes through it. To say, you know, it's a horrific thing to go through any kind of sure. an assault and abuse, but to say, but then I did give life and give somebody an opportunity to live a life from that um, potentially could actually reduce the trauma because, again, statistically, one of the things you you hear is that there's a lot of regret trauma on the backside of abortion, Mm -hmm. which is, again, not always reported uh, because it doesn't fit the cultural narrative that this is just a choice. But, uh, But there's certainly a lot of women who have walked through the reality of, I made an easy choice for me, and now I've regretted that uh, for years um, in some cases. Yeah, you can't wait till you, like it's not a detanglable situation. You can't wait till you have everything figured out and settled mm-hmm. and then come with truth. Like mm-hmm. it's such a complicated situation. You can't like, oh, well, let's figure this all out first because it's not... It's not yeah, gonna I, mean, like I, I, I do think everything. that there, you know, and maybe I need to back up a little bit in, in what I was saying. I mean, I do think that there, to your point, Kurt, it is communicating the biblical standard and a student saying like, hey, you know, this is the situation of saying, well, here's, you know, here's what I believe. Here's what I believe the Bible to be true and communicate, but saying, regard, you know, I'm here to walk with you through this situation. Mm-hmm. And so I, I do think that that puts forth a biblical standard. It puts forth, here's what God's word says on that. But but my posture as, as an individual is to say, you know what, I'm here to walk alongside of you through mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. decision, through this journey that, um, that you're in right now. And so I think, you know, for me, it's, yeah, it is a little bit of both and there. Well, and... And what's challenging, I think, too, is, so as a person of faith, I have convictions about all kinds of things that a non-believing person may not have convictions about. Mm -hmm. And there are a whole host of them that that I'm okay saying, you don't need to believe what I believe. I believe this, and I'm going to practice this, you practice that. But then there are some things that have a higher higher calling in terms of, they, they should have some universal application. Certainly an issue of life, I think, treating people with dignity and respect across the board. Some of those issues aren't just like, like for example, I could say, well, I believe the Ten Commandments restrict me from using the Lord's name in vain. Um, okay, well, when I go out with a couple guys who aren't believers and they use the Lord's name in vain, I don't feel the need to sit there and say, stop it. Um, and you're, you're using the Lord's name in vain and that's offensive to God. Now, do I believe that? Absolutely. But it's, but I don't need to bring that into every occasion in which I live and move. Um, and, but, but there are some issues that are different, Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of, of the, the pushback that we should give. So, so one of the challenges, and I think this is true for students, it's true for adults, young adults, especially, um, that I think happens is, okay, even if I believe this, if I believe that abortion is not right uh, before God, not the best public choice, not the best vision for the future of our nation, whatever word you, way you want to put it, I feel like I'm ostracized in current culture if I take that position. I'm made to be an oppressor. I'm on the wrong side of history. I'm part of the patriarchy, the group that hates women, the group that on and on and on, because that's the way it's being positioned right now in culture. Mm -hmm. So how do you help a student? How do you help a young adult? How do you yourselves navigate that piece of the dialogue uh, in order to help somebody say, okay, um, yeah, I don't want to be part of that, all the characterizations, but yet I still have an underlying belief that says maybe that's right. How, how, How do you help somebody navigate that? Well, I feel like my knee-jerk reaction is to say, like, again, yes, abortion is the issue, but you have to pull back from that a layer because I think the root of the issue is you're dealing with you're dealing with two philosophies, two different worldviews, and that's going to then from that is going to affect your view on abortion. It's going to affect your view on a whole number of issues. So, to me, uh, I think you know, when a student's coming with this concern, it's like, all right. Yes, we need to deal with this, but we have to pull back because the issue here is, you know, you're dealing, you're trying to have uh, 
a worldview conversation with somebody who perhaps or perhaps subscribes to you know maybe a humanistic worldview, whereas we subscribe to a biblical worldview. And so, I think if you just kind of run from issue to issue, and you're trying to, it's a little bit like running from fire to fire versus pulling back and saying, all right, we need to understand differing worldviews and why why like that's the root of I don't know if I'm making sense but I think that's that tends to be I'm more not of the root sense, so we're in trouble because I'm following <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying I think that that's like they're it's almost pulling back from the issue at hand and not to deflect yeah but really to get to the root of it and say all right there is let's understand worldview here let's yeah. understand why these conclusions are being drawn because I think that pressure to conform like there's two sides pick one one is right one is wrong where you're going to be, I mean, that comes from your, you know, 15 second TikTok sound bites of, and it's like, that is, that is not the place to have deep conversations. That is not the place to have meaningful conversations. And I think one way that we can start to combat it is to create spaces like this podcast to have conversations, have deeper conversations, have nuanced conversations and I think part of it starts with having those conversations with people that you know believe differently than you. Mm-hmm. And seeing each other as human, understanding, like listening to understand, not to reply, you know? Mm-hmm. And starting a place where, I mean, even if it's just you inviting people over for dinner and it's not this, you know, grand, I'm starting a nonprofit that's gonna eradicate. 15-second sound bites of... I mean, that's... Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a dream we're going to realize anytime soon. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the the cultural polarization is not helping anybody. And sitting here talking about how much I hate the cultural polarization is not going to stop it. Mm-hmm. But what I can... what What is within my power to change me as an individual is to start having these conversations, to start listening, to start creating a place even just within my own life that's safe to process and listening. So one of the things that's interesting to me uh, being the age I am. So I grew up late 70s, 80s. It was my childhood. This issue was one that was truly debated. Yeah. And it was seen as you can be on a different side of this and we just disagree. What's interesting now that the issues come roaring back, it is uh, you're a pariah if you're pro-life, because you are patriarchal, hateful, you know, even President Biden's speech the other night, um, where he kind of did the whole, if you're a mega American, you're um, somebody who is um, a threat to democracy, you are everything that's wrong with our world, basically. And without trying to, you know, get into all of that, it's it's uh well it's a it, the the reason though that that ties in here yeah. is it's the same positioning and and what happens mm-hmm. is now it's a virtue signaling thing where I go on TikTok I go on yeah. Instagram and I say here's where I am on this and I don't want to be part of that now obviously there's people who are part of that also who would who would throw the despair goes both ways absolutely there there is that and. And obviously, you're exactly right. We're not going to eradicate that other than trying to have a conversation. But it's in that culture that we live and move now where where even exploring and saying, is this a possible mm-hmm. way to view things? I, I saw a, a video by Bill Maher the other day, and I don't watch everything Bill Maher does. And he's you know somewhat crass at times, so I'm not recommending him. Again, send emails to James at Orchard Hill Church. <laughs> but... Uh, the um, uh, James the, is going to turn off his email that, that's right. well, it's, it's not my email. It's so not his good. email. They can so send that's all why they, all they want. That, that's why all I gave him the want. wrong email. The um, <laughs> it, what I found interesting and and uh, about this, and I, I'm going to mention this. Um, it'll be out there before you guys all see this. But um, he was talking about transgenderism and homosexuality and some of those things. Now he's a gay man who is left on all of his politics and he was talking about transgenderism and his 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 point was basically to say when we start experimenting on children and we're in a new era I have to be able to at least ask the question is this wise 
And he said, you can't simply say because I'm a minority um, or I'm in an, a, a marginalized unit that you can't even ask the question, mic drop, leave me alone. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I thought he was exactly right on that, that issue because that's exactly where we've gotten to. If I can identify as being one of these oppressed minorities, then you can't even question what's going on. And he was saying, you know, if we're going to start doing surgery on kids, um, we should at least be able to ask the question, is this wise as a society? And again, from where he sits, it's probably easier to ask uh, because he's not in the, the, the group that's considered patriarchy, sure. uh, everything else. But, but again, yeah. that is part of the yeah. cultural challenge to this issue yeah. at this exact moment is, is if I'm a you know, 17-year-old, if I'm a 27-year-old kind of coming of age in this, I'm saying so many people in the culture will tell me that if I hold this view um, that I am mm-hmm. an oppressor. Yeah. And I don't want to be an oppressor. I don't want to be any part of that. Therefore, um, I'm not. I'm either going to be silent on this, or I'm going to um, not hold the view. It's fascinating to me how like you have to be this extreme or that extreme, and there's just not room in the middle. Um, like I had a student text me about a month ago, and she said, "Do you hate gay people?" Hmm. That was the opening text. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, "No, do you?" Mm-hmm. She was like. Well, no. And I was like, why did you ask that question? And then we started to have a conversation about some things that she's been thinking about. And, and it's like, okay, why? I hate, I hate that because I believe that life, you know, begins at conception, I get lumped into this group of people who send death threats to abortion mm-hmm. providers. Mm-hmm. That's not who I am. That's not how I live my life. And yet, because we agree on this one thing Mm -hmm. i'm i'm with them i'm like Mm -hmm. i want to be with them i want to be on their team Mm -hmm. they're mean they're scary i want to be on their team you know like how how is there not allowed in in from in so many ways and in so many viewpoints to be you know these many different places in the middle like why do i have to agree with everything someone says because i agree with them on one thing that's well, I, and you know, I think there's, it is, uh, I, as we're talking, I'm thinking back to, you know, is almost the conversation I think needs to be had at some point or some level of, you know, when Jesus says, if they hated me in the same way, they'll hate you, you know, for standing on biblical teaching. And so I, I do think that it does, that can be a little bit of a cop out for, well, we don't even need to talk about this because we're going to be hated yeah. on based on what we, you know, based because we believe the Bible. But I think there also is a little bit of wisdom in saying, you know, I don't know that we're ever going to see total reconciliation on this mm-hmm. issue because, I mean, it's more or less kind of promised in scripture. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus communicated that truth to us that like, listen, this this is going to polarize people. It's either going to turn people on, it's going to turn people off. And when you when you follow me, that's going to come with persecution. And I think um, the the frustrating thing for me is when people stop there, and they're like, "Well, you hate me." And I'm like, "No, like I like I am not like it's not. I don't want to be lumped right like, like, like the you people were saying. like the the group of folks who send death threats to right. abortion providers like." Let's use them as my example. Um, so many people are like, oh, well, they hate what I'm doing. I'm like, yeah, because you're threatening to kill people. That's not good. You know, how, how can, I think the question for me around this that is core is how can the church show up and love mm-hmm. so well that folks, that folks can say, sure. okay, I get that we disagree on some yep. pretty cool, like, important things, but I cannot argue the fact that you are loving well. Mm-hmm. I think so many people stop at being angry, mm-hmm. and anger doesn't solve anything. Right. Typing stuff in Facebook comments doesn't solve anything. Never in the history of the Internet has somebody's life been complete. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's one, but I'm pretty sure 
that like Facebook comment arguing isn't going to change the world, well, but loving people might. It's the same virtue. It's the self-righteous virtue signaling. Even yeah. if it's, I'm typing that for people to go, oh, I like that. I like what you mm -hmm. are saying. I'm with you. Because it's like tribalism yeah. again. Mm -hmm. And But you're right. I, real change comes with real love and demonstrated love. And yeah. so certainly the church's best position forward isn't just to holler truth, yeah. but it's to demonstrate love well, speaking truth. And those two things together become more compelling. And not just, and, I think we can't stop at, well, I'll love you if you agree with me. Sure. I'll take care of you if you do X, Y, and Z that I think you should do. But love people where they're at and love people in ways that make like actual change in the system. You know, like advocate for a better foster care system mm -hmm. so that when a woman's in trouble, she doesn't say the foster care system is scarier than having mm -hmm. an abortion. So I'm going to pick an abortion because I know what's going to happen to my kid if they go mm -hmm. in there. Like advocate for change for there. Like actually support legislation that is going to make it terrible for someone if they rape someone, well, you know, like, like the, the issue is do a Gandhi, be the, the change you the, want to see the in the church world. wants to be pro-life and thriving life at every turn. Yeah. One of the legitimate criticisms of people who are pro-life, I think, mm -hmm. is the idea of you only care about life in the womb, not the quality of life once a child mm -hmm. is born. And, and there is a challenge to that. I don't know that that's always a fair criticism. Um, because, Any generalization isn't going to Well, be. just because, again, I think you could say the church, mm -hmm. again, you talk about the church universal, yeah. does provide some great foster care options. Does yes. it address all of it? Of course not. No. So could we do more? Of course. And are um, there people who call themselves Christians that aren't actually living out Jesus? And they're like, oh, well, I'm a Christian, so I'm right. going to live this way. And you're like, I mean... Right, but... I mean, the church historically has actually yeah. been on the forefront of a lot of social yeah. causes that have mattered and have, have brought societal yes. change. And so we do want to celebrate and point to those. Even, um, you know, certainly if you looked at hospitals and so many of the hospitals were formed by, by Christians, Catholics, who said, you know what, this is something we can do to care for our society mm -hmm. and our culture. Um, so many adoption agencies have been that foster placement agencies mm -hmm. have been faith-based mm -hmm. uh, so, so so there is a sense in which the church has yeah. done that maybe an individual response is to say what have I done mm -hmm. how can I be participate in just one agency I don't have to be I don't have to solve the whole problem but can I can no, I, I think can I solve can I contribute to one agency that's making a difference yeah. one life that's making a difference and if if the millions of Christians who lived today said, mm -hmm. I'm gonna be pro-life, not just in my position, but in reality, in some tangible way, yeah. um, that that is a helpful and step And even if forward. someone doesn't necessarily have financial resources to mm -hmm. contribute, there's so many ways that you can, you know, like gather resources and support, you mm -hmm. know, a mom that needs help mm -hmm. getting stuff ready for a baby. You can mentor girls who are at risk Mm -hmm. of this sort of thing you can I mean there's so many things you can do even if you don't have financial resources because I think what happens with some people like oh well I can't fix the big problem I can't donate a million dollars to this charity so what's the point of even doing anything you know but I think it's those little moments of true living out the life that Jesus has called us to living out the love that he had for people, showing it in tangible ways, like that snowballs and it, the kingdom mm -hmm. of God is going to change the world. And right. it is the... Well, Jesus' statement, it's like a mustard things. seed or it's yes. like yeast, means that it starts almost imperceptibly, invisibly. Yes. So it is the little choices mm -hmm. that millions of people make that influence the culture more than the here's the one legislation and i think what what american christians are seeing right now is for years it was let's see roe versus wade overturned mm -hmm. and now it's overturned and oh my goodness now the real issue begins because now it's state to state it's, right. it's life to life it isn't just as simple as oh that was overturned 
now this issue is done, um, you yeah. know, do a victory lap, it's, it's now, now it actually requires more mm -hmm. because there's, there's, a, there's a nuance that's much more um, pervasive than it was when it was just focused on that, that one yeah. big issue. So go ahead. Well, no, I mean, I just, to speak to the small steps really do have big impact. You know, um, I, so my mom was adopted. She was, um, but she was sponsored. It started with a sponsorship of her, of an American family, because she's Korean. And just a simple, and it wasn't a, a large donation every month, but it was a small donation every month. And that ended up leading to an adoption. And then lent itself to her being led to the Lord and just so it really set the trajectory mm -hmm. which then in turn I mean just has the ripple effect of establishing you know that heritage and just in my life and then in my daughter's and so like I do think to speak to your point and that's I've seen it firsthand of I think people can downplay well my effort isn't enough or my effort is too small to really make an impact and um, I mean it's it's not. I know that we're like on staff and at a church and we're supposed to say that, but it really like the proof is in the pudding. It, it does. Those small steps um, can just be life altering and just have huge impact mm -hmm. for generations to come. So good. Any other things you want to say that you haven't had a chance to say about abortion um, that uh, that haven't been said, haven't been addressed? I don't think politics is going to solve everything. And I think that the more we focus on people, it's, I think that's the way that you can make a, make a huge difference. Okay. I think we've said what needs to be said I, in this setting. I know this is, it's so hard because this conversation is, it's so multifaceted. There's so yeah. many ripples to it. And, um, and I think people are, still trying to wrap their brains and their minds around, okay, how do we respond? What's, cause that, it seemed like that shift came out of nowhere, you know, this last summer. And yeah. um, so I know for me, I'm still trying to make heads or tails about, you know, what is this, what impact is this going to have, yeah. you know, on long term? Yeah, no, it's a, uh, yeah, I would say that the belief that a life is a gift from God to be celebrated as a culture mm -hmm. uh, is still an important starting point. Mm -hmm. uh, so many times we go to the to the um, extreme situations or the um, arguments and start doing the let's argue, but the position that life is a gift from God and that life more human life leads to more human flourishing um, is actually uh, Christians are on the right side of that in this. And that is a beautiful thing to celebrate. I mean, when you think about 63 million lives that didn't happen in our country, think about how many artists, scientists, uh, school teachers, fire people, how many different just lives have been, um, and then by extension, how many children um, didn't have? I mean, that to me is is one of the ways to think about it. And even when we think about the issue in terms of race, um, if there are more uh, abortions that take place in minority communities, again, think about the flourishing that could have happened with more lives. Like how many people could have come. Um, that could have, um, again, rewritten some of our nation's dialogue on race, even uh, potentially. And I realize, again, that saying that there will be those who say, ah, but that's not the way the system set up the system. But again, lives do lead um, to more opportunity, more people. Um, and, uh, and as a nation, it's even interesting. I think I saw somewhere that, that a few years ago, for the first time, our birth rate dropped below two. And historically, any uh, two um, people per family, whatever the deal is, historically, no nation has thrived with a, with a birth rate that's less than a replacement, at least, of their own population. 
And certainly there's you know, arguments there around immigration, things like that that can all be made part of that. But historically, once a nation tip, tips below that and stays below that. Well, I think statistically um, it's impossible too, isn't right. it, to ever Well, that's where immigration comes in. Right. Uh, so so sure. part of the argument for uh, looser immigration would be we actually need the human resource to come into our sure. country to continue to thrive. Um, which is actually true because we're a negative birth rate. Um, now, I wouldn't say that one has to be exclusive of the other. Again, that's a whole other argument, but that is part of... That'll be on your next podcast. Um, we'll yeah, put that in the queue. That's right. Well, I, well it is an interesting discussion because sure. just economically, right. if a nation doesn't have an increasing number of people at some point, the economics of a nation start to turn downward, and that's why nations don't thrive once they have a negative birth rate, um, at least for long. Um, and uh, certainly, like Japan has has been able to do that for a season here, but long term, that's not probably sustainable because again, any nation in history that has a negative birth rate sooner or later has an economic downturn and ceases to thrive and and all of that. So anyway, that's a whole nother discussion. Wasn't my, my main thought as much as, as <laughs> life comes from, life leads to human flourishing. More life leads to a nation flourishing. And that is part of the Christian mandate, is to say, how do we help our world flourish? Mm. And just life itself helps that. And that is a good part of the argument as well. Not just it's morally wrong, sure. but it actually yeah. leads to better life for all people who are part of the nation currently. So thank you for uh, taking a few minutes to be part of this. If you have uh, questions that you'd like to see addressed, feel free to email James at now. Uh, <laughs> email info at orchardhillchurch.com. And that is an actual email. And if you do have comments, if you think we were wrong on something, do feel free to email info at orchardhillchurch.com. And we'd be happy to address that even in coming, coming episodes. What we can look backward and say, here's what somebody said we had wrong, and we'd be happy to address that. We don't proclaim to have every answer, every nuance right. What we're willing to do is to discuss a difficult topic and what it means to be a Christian and deal with difficult cultural issues. And that's really our heart for this podcast is to say, we do have some different perspectives, sometimes even as Christians on difficult issues. And so we aren't a monolithic group of people who all think exactly the same. And so being able to discuss and think about these issues, the church should be a place, church podcast should be a place where we can talk about hard issues and not necessarily agree with each person completely, but be able to say, but, but, but we go to the same source and here's how we've come to see this issue. So thanks, have a great day.